everybody. Hello. Hey, I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we are here for episode 48. Wrong. That was my Donald Trump. 47.5? Episode <laughs> 49. We're just going to skip over 48. No, we're not, because right now, I was, gonna, I was waiting until this moment to post it, but oh. I recorded episode 48 without you. <laughs> okay, then. So check it out. Lean over here for a second. Okay. Here's a picture I rec- with three of the three. The, the four of us got together. The three of the three and me. Oh, I like that. Three of the three and me. We got uh, <laughs> Vernon Richards, Tester, from, Le- Tester from, from Lester. We have Percy. You know Percy. Yep. And uh, Michael Richards, who is Salty Gunner. Yep. They were all at Test Bash. We recorded episode 48 together. And I'm going to post it right now. I was waiting for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so episode 49. That's one way to make sure we get to 50 this year. <laughs> it is. It is. And I'm not sure we're looking for, still looking for interesting suggestions on what we should or could do for episode 50. So keep those coming in. And hey, I just got notified from Twitter that we just <laughs> episode 48. And we're recording episode 49 right now. And if all goes well, I'll have this out on Monday. Oh, I just got notified too. What'd you do? Retweet it? I did. <laughs> this is going to be the worst podcast ever while we stare at our phones and retweet each other. So I uh, just got back, not just, uh, last week, a week ago, I was in Philadelphia. You ever been to Philadelphia? I have not. It was my first time to Philadelphia. Great time. Uh, impressive conference. You want to hear about it? I do. All right, I'll tell you. I did a little quick little blog post about it, but in short... I uh, read the quick little blog post about it. It's a single track uh, conference. They do them all the time. The next one is in... Is Brighton next? I can't remember. Or no, maybe... I don't know. They're they're all over. They do these little one to two day... This was the first two day test bash. Normally test bash is a one day thing, but it's a single track conference. They... uh, the one thing that was different from a lot of conferences is that I actually liked all the talks. There were... Uh, but, Alan, <laughs> you don't attend conferences. You only present. I attend the conferences I present at. <laughs> so this one, I I watched. was so happy. So Percy posted a picture of Alan sitting in the audience. Uh, I'm like, yeah, you attend these things. <laughs> so this one was good. I All the speakers, top to bottom, very impressed. Want to hear something weird? All talks, very good. There was one mention of contracts-driven testing where I rolled my eyes for the obvious reasons. Yep. But I liked it. There was one event. We came back from lunch on the first day, and we talked, and this is rehash of what's episode 48. But does it? can I say we've talked about this before without drinking if you and I haven't talked about this before? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so in short, the just so you know, um, there was this interesting scavenger hunt, but it wasn't like a real scavenger hunt. So we came back from lunch and uh, we were told, all right, form some groups of about 10 people. And this guy down here is your product owner. And here's a, here's a, a link to a Google map with some sites marked. Go check them out. Take some pictures, take some notes, come back. So it was a scavenger hunt where we didn't know what we were scavenging for. So we visited these places, took lots of pictures, and we came back and there was a quiz full of all sorts of random trivia. 
And uh, somehow the team I was on uh, tied for first. Okay. <laughs> it, what in general was the point of the scavenger hunt? Just team it was, building? No, it was interesting. There were... Uh, I American thought it, history? I thought it was a, a weird reason to get us out in the fresh air, which is great to get out in the fresh air in the middle of a, of a conference right after lunch when it's nap time. But there were some interesting parallels to testing. There were things that people, and tell me if this is, you haven't seen this before in like bringing a new person onto a team. Mm-hmm. There were Philadelphia natives there, and there were people like me who had never been there before. There were things that the natives didn't notice at all, but the new people coming in said, oh, what's that? Oh, I've never noticed that before. Yep. Tell me you haven't seen that in software. I it, it, <laughs> Test your eyes is what I used to call it. So, and it, I think it was more of a way to get us out and about, but doing the sort of scavenger hunt and that what well, we didn't know what we were scavenging for has, you know, dealing with ambiguity in there. Sure. Anyway, fun time. I did have most of the day Saturday to walk around and check things out. I saw the Liberty Bell. I was going to ask. It's not nearly as big as I've been led to believe my whole life. How big is it? <laughs> well, you know, it's about that big. It's like four feet tall. Okay. And width? The bell? About the same? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like a bell. I was The pictures I saw in my history books, I thought it was this massive, like, 12-foot tall bell. It's not. Maybe it was just me. I want to... Yeah, time's time's ticking off. Like I have an eighteen year old now. I've always wanted to sort of cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. <laughs> Little boy. Yeah. <laughs> Weeds. Um I always wanted to sort of take them on sort of a history tour of the of the Northeast. Yeah, I love history. But right now, if I can ever actually get him to apply to college, which she has to do by the end of this month. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, those days are ahead of me. We're thinking uh, our big brouhaha for summer is a, is a cruise someplace. All right. All right. Yeah. I'd like to go to Washington, D.C. sometime. Me too. So I am inviting myself to speak at any conference or <laughs> group in, in Washington, D.C. It's a place I haven't been that I really like to go to. Um, all I require is um, uh, flight and like three nights hotel, and I'll speak whatever you want me to. Throw it out there for the three. When do you want to go? Oh, anytime. Anytime. Any, well, maybe before January. You want to go like in December? <laughs> I was going to say. Hey. I'm, ju- I'm just worried that the city may just implode or explode. Maybe implode. On um, after January. <laughs> oh, we could spend the rest of the podcast if we want oh, to talk be- politics. We, we better not. <laughs> yeah. We better not. Uh, oh, okay. So you talked to Test Bash. I did. I gave a talk. It was Testing Without Testers, which is a flavor of talk I've given before, but this one was uh, much, much different from the versions I gave previously at QA SIG in Seattle. And when did I give it before then? Oh, I gave another variation of it uh, at, uh, what's that called, in uh, Waterloo, uh, a test group SIG up there. So I was following, what was it, Twitter or something? Uh, people were posting comments on I had talk. A, I had a good Twitter explosion during my talk. I was very happy. 
And I was like coming back from my talk and bringing out my Twitter phone and seeing like a whole bunch of tweets. One of the guys that I read and the way he commented on I I interpreted it as he walked away from your talk sort of feeling that testing without testers blows. And and that kind of surprised me. No, no, I don't think that's I don't think that was his takeaway. Mm. That was a Twitter is a moment in time. Right. So at the risk of getting hammered at 830 in the morning, we've talked about ways. By me, I'm too tired yeah, to hammer way, you. Ways to do combined engineering or engineering teams incorrectly. So I did oh. talk about the fact that if you just say, okay, no more testers, everyone's a developer, you're probably going to fail. And that does blow. Uh, it so, does, so, and you will. Yes, so that for mo- sure. That that moment, in, that that's the moment in time he was capturing. Okay. If you do this wrong, it's going to suck. If even if you do it without a plan whatsoever, it's going to be wrong, and therefore it's going to suck. So I talked, and again, it, it could be a rehash of a A/B testing episode, but I talked a lot about how you can do it wrong. Uh, what the benefits of it are, because there's a lot of inefficiencies in having the siloed teams. I got to imagine it's not coincidental, but I got a, a spike on the the Unified Engineering blog post oh, right, interesting. W- right when you were... <laughs> Could probably somebody, they had yeah. good Wi-Fi there. People were looking stuff up. Trying to understand what the connection would be. I don't know. I mentioned Unified Engineering. So they searched your... I don't know. Yeah. I don't, Jeez, I don't do think, I look like a precog? I don't think you talk about it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you ever did a blog post on my blog post. No. So I'm not certain how they would. I don't. Okay, it, but they there, did. There are search engines where if you search for terms, it may show up things that show up in your blog. Did you call it unified engineering? I did. I just said that. Oh, okay. Jeez. That's Frank. how they did it then. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it can be very inefficient to have siloed engineering teams. I talked about how my previous team. Definitely didn't need any testers, but we didn't have any UI. Didn't have anything that needed any visual verification. Very easy to do. Those are, those are no-brainers. You shouldn't have a test team test that crap. But a little bit different on my current product, where lots of UI built very quickly. Uh, there are some dragons under the covers. We um, require our and, and expect our developers to write lots and lots of tests, but we do... Even though we're technically an engineering team, we have my team that does some quality infrastructure work around diagnostic tools, uh, making sure uh, test infrastructure is working, et cetera. And then we have a small team of vendors who do manual test, manual visual verification sort of testing. So we're not completely testerless. No, you're not. By the way, last time uh, I was in your building for podcast, yeah, ran into one of my former employees. Who's on your dev team? Who is that? Uh, Ron. Ron Patton. Yes. That's right. Called out here among the world. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, sure he's one of your favorites. Ron's good. Yeah. Ron's good. He's working a lot on the mobile platforms now and doing very, very well. My experience is people who spent a lot of time as SDETs and then moved to the dev role get this new world much faster and better than... Oh, was he an S-step before? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's probably gets it. And it's weird. I know, given who's making a change, how much I have a gut feeling of how good I feel about it. 
most of those people are former testers. He there, is, there are some who aren't former testers who are very good as well, but they just see the forest for the trees a lot better. He was one of my ICs when I started down this Agile journey in Bing. Very interesting. Yeah. So you've heard the whole story. I don't have to rehash the, what the whole talk was about, how it can work, uh, sort of the problem solving, how you get developers to do testing. There was a little bit of organizational change, a little bit of preparing people who are maybe heading down this path and what it means and how to coach their management on how to make this change successfully and also just how to coach developers on how to become testers, how important that is for how important of a skill that is for people who are testers today. Uh, one interesting thing I asked at the beginning, uh, I said, how many of you are on a, are on a team with uh, no testers? And this one woman raises her hand and goes, so how's it going for us? She goes, I cry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do it wrong, it's really easy to head down. It's really, I think, easy to get in that stage where you're just, if it's done wrong, you're the only tester and you're like, and all the crap is flowing downhill to you. It can be uh, a very lonely and dark and sad place. What I'm imagining, remember back in the days when uh, QTech still existed? Yes, the quality and test engineering community. Yep, uh, that, that Alan was the chair of within Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? It's dead. Do you remember the talk I did at one of the QTechs on this journey, I'm kind of imagining what you did uh, at Test Bash is uh, an equivalent to a, the talk I did at that one QTech meeting where I was essentially trying to communicate to the to other test teams at Microsoft the same sort of thing. You remember that? Are you saying I copy you? No. Because I don't. No. I'm just kidding you, man. <laughs> I do, even if you did, I'm I, sure your talk I, I, was way I, better than mine. I, I do vaguely remember it, yes. Yeah. And it really is, how do I take all these skills I have as a tester, and maybe it's a survival guide, like, what if this happens to me? What if my org gets rid of testers? How do I survive? Here are some ideas. And it turns out there was a consultant there that gave a talk about uh, bouncing from company to company, doing organizational change. And it's actually what she does and what I do are very similar. Go into, go into the org, start spotting holes and filling them. So are there, you, there are a lot of are you now there. announcing on the podcast your up-and-coming uh, career as a test consultant? I would, except I don't want to be a test consultant. <laughs> really no desire. I honestly don't understand the psyche around those who do. <laughs> Look, there is an entire industry. And I'm pretty certain that several of our three are. <laughs> look. Yeah. Look again. And look look once, look twice, and then look three times. There is, and maybe will always be, this uh, business. If you want to, there's so much turnover in test. And one thing about Test Bash is the audience is very sophisticated, too. A lot of not... I don't even call them novice, but a lot of experienced testers in the audience. So they, it's easier to get the point across. I don't think I could have given this talk at, to a bunch of newbie testers at one of the big conferences. They would have, they wouldn't have got it at all. But because I'm talking to people who kind of been around the block a lot and they kind of, it was a lot better received. The maturity of the audience helped del me deliver the message of my talk. 
But to finish my other thought, because what we do on, on A-B testing is we just bounce all over the place, is that there is a whole business that I could work as long as I wanted, as much as I wanted, teaching brand new testers how to test software. That will always exist. And there, that's, why, that's why test consultants exist, because there are always brand new people that want to learn testing software just like we did it in 1992. Forever. I, I, that's boring to me. To me, that's, <clears throat> that's sad. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. It'd be, it would be like being a nurse at a children's hospital in the fatal cancer wing. I don't think I could do that job. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm helping you to kill your career. <laughs> way, way to just bring a dark downer to everything. So, so let's let's go back to something more up in in your blog post. You mentioned something that, in in some regards, surprised me. Knowing how tight you are with Lee Copeland, you mentioned that Test Bash might, in fact, be your official favorite test conference. I think it is. Yes. And the way you describe it, you describe it as a sense of maturity. But one of the things that that I keep harping on on the podcast is I don't think I don't know if it's a set of maturity or a modernization, right? Because what it, what you describe to me feels like, hey, this is a test conference about testing in 2016, not 1992. In many ways, yes, but in maybe in all ways. A couple other things that make it better, and nothing. And Lee, I like you. I like your conferences. They're good for uh, people who want to know a broad number of ideas about testing. There's four or five tracks going on at once. The keynotes are always very good at Star conferences. The uh, track sessions, I at Star, uh, and Lee actually suggests this. You can bounce around from session to session, and I usually do that as a way to get the most value. Uh, there wasn't one session I saw at Test Bash I would have left to go see anything else. They're all very good. Even the ones where I you know, maybe had a few eye-rolling moments, I enjoyed. I thought everybody had a good story to tell. Some were fantastic. There was, tangent, there was one talk by Abby Bangzer and someone she works with whose name I've forgotten, and they did what I thought was a fantastic talk that could be done at uh, – not probably even better suited for like an agile conference than a dev conference, but it was, uh, they did like a, a play where it was really cool. They would act out like the talk was about how to treat infrastructure like real product, but was really about how to, they, they were, did a synopsis, like a little reenactment of a real life work interaction. Then they had a way of like stepping out of it and talking about what was going on. Fourth wall break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like it was like yeah. It was exactly. It was breaking the fourth wall. Third wall, fourth wall, and then they go back into it and then pop out and it was it was done really well. They obviously worked on it a lot, but executed super well. Really, really cool. I, I thought it was a great talk. Lee actually pinged me afterwards and I gave him a few suggestions for uh, people to invite to Star. I think oh. there's. I think that conference. I think. All conferences have their place and an audience they're looking for. What frustrates me about Star is not the speakers and the talks. I get value out of it when I go, and I go to a lot of talks when I'm there, is how much of Star is a – how much Star is a platform for vendors to try and drum up business, for test consultants to try and drum up business. 
And even though there were uh, people who are officially consultants speaking at Test Bash, I didn't feel like at any time they were trying to sell me anything or try and get business, where I really feel almost overwhelmed with that at Star. Yeah, I get what you're talking about. Like um, last conference I went to was Strata, right? And they had different they they had the tracks that were sort of the sharing is caring tracks, and the sharing to sell tracks, and the sharing. I, I even think those those sort of sharing to sell tracks. The best way to drum up business would be the soft sell, and that is just show that you are awesome because of of your knowledge and your tooling and show the awesomeness in a way that resonates with the people, right? You do that enough time playing the odds, you'll get your sales. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the test bash talks were almost entirely, not entirely, almost entirely experiential. People were telling their experiences on the job. It wasn't uh, very little like theoretical, like here's the definition of the word metric and here's how, you know, it's like, oh God, none of that crap that I hate. All very much... Here's an experience I had at work and what I learned from it. And here's some things that maybe that I've discovered, maybe you should know too, which was what kept me engaged in the talks. So kind of a TED model. In some ways, yeah. Without the strict, like, TED, you must talk for 22 minutes, then you're pulled off the stage by a hook and you must. But very good. Everybody well prepared. I give a lot of credit to uh, Rosie and Richard um, and whoever else on the staff put together Test Bash and helped prep and choose speakers. I think it, I was very impressed. There's an elephant in the room we haven't talked about. Brent doesn't understand the word metaphor <laughs> or what metaphor means. I had a great, by the way, before we get to the elephant in the room, great metaphor this morning from a mutual friend of ours. There is a uh, engineering manager, a peer of mine on our team, who's struggling to get the right data for his uh, performance metrics. Always frustrated. Not, never can figure out what he wants or the best way to put it. And there's... and and then the data team is trying to figure out what data he wants. And then he says, I can't refresh the cube. And what what he's doing, but not Jim, what, what this engineering manager is doing is the equivalent of, so the metaphor was <clears throat> he's shopping while hungry. So he's taking, he just want, he's going into the store and wants everything. Just give me it all. I'll figure out what I want to make later. Which is good for the soul, but bad for your diet and checkbook. My advice to Jim was, says, take him to the grocery store, teach him how to shop for a sensible meal plan. <laughs> All right. Away from metaphors, elephant in the room means something we haven't talked about. Uh, one week, two weeks ago, and one week previous to my test bash talk, my product was officially announced. This thing we've been talking about as my product is now known around the world as Microsoft Teams. Woohoo! Congratulations dun, dun, on the dun. ship. Shipping is a weird word in the new world, right? Congratulations on your release. Announced. And I'm still training. Congratulations on general availability. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) GAs later. Oh. (laughs) Okay. But it's weird. A lot of people on my team are used to, and I mostly work on traditional shrink wrap products as well, but the transition has not been difficult for me because I actually pay attention to the real world. But... There's this, uh, I still hear words like, okay, what are we working on for V2? 
So what, what's a V2? I don't get it. We ship every week. We ship all the time. Yeah. Uh, V2, is that like next Thursday? Yeah. <laughs> so, and a couple interesting things that'll tie into, we can talk a little bit about Teams. Teams is a collaboration platform, a lot like Slack, which you can use one of the three dot slack.com to talk about our podcast. But our product is targeted for yes. You can go to the teams. You can sign up to the teams competitor to learn more about teams. Exactly. <laughs> Brent gets it. You can't get the elephant in the room metaphor, but he, <laughs> he has selective intelligence. Yeah. Anyway, uh, targeted at Office 365 users. So if you're a company that has a O365 tenant, you can flip this thing on. You have a great collaboration tool. It works really well. There's a lot of uh, spit and polish and and few little bells and whistles to put on top, but it's uh, coming along. So, so we're not going to abandon the Slack channel anytime soon to go to Teams. Then, not soon, but at some point. There's a there's a plan to not have the O365 requirement. I cannot talk about how we're going to work around that, but at okay. some point it'll be a viable alternative to the Slack channel. Okay. All right, let's go there. A couple interesting things. I have several questions afterwards, but I'll wait for your interesting things because you probably are going Oh, I was going to talk about shipping because one interesting thing I've noticed is we ship all the time. Uh, We have seven services and a front end that ship, and all those ship. One of the services ships twice a week. Everything else ships once a week, so that makes nine times a week, seven, eight, nine times a week we ship. but what's interesting, and I'm sure this is not uncommon for uh, teams that ship something that's a front end, lots of back end stuff, is from our our team, most of our team, especially like program management and, and, and designers and up, they really only care about when the front end ships. Yep. They ask, did we ship yet this week? I said, we ship on when? We, actually, the first thing I say is, uh, we ship all the time. What are you looking for? But no, do we ship? I, said, I still don't even, do we, I, I, we have some new, we have new rounded corners in the buttons. Oh, did the front end ship? The front end ships on Wednesdays. It's, <laughs> so yeah. If it's not visual, it didn't happen. The question that I, I, here's a question that I think you should practice when they come to you. I, what features are you looking to understand when they released? Because it's not a product ship anymore; it's a feature release now. Yeah. Oh, and also, this is—it's getting more confusing. There is—you ever seen the, the, you know, you know the move my cheese metaphor? Yep. Well, I have these confused mice who can't find their cheese, because not only do we ship—we ship to the world on Wednesday, but we ship to uh, the Microsoft Ring on Monday, and then to our team for dog food the previous Thursday. Okay. And. Is it the same mice that are confused? The, the mice just can't follow. It's like rings of deployment are confusing. Let's not do that. I said, I'm too scared. I see my head shaking here. Like, yeah. I'm too scared to not have rings of deployment. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it that way. I'm like, okay, let's sit down and figure out how I can help you get be less confused do you think i have time to sit down with these people you don't have time to Not, deal with yeah, them pushing back every day I <laughs> I'm, I'm being slightly facetious here all right you have some questions you fire away yeah so um one wanna, 42 
long strings and uh, the average. Oh, uh, sorry, not okay. Jeopardy. Go, go ahead, go ahead and start over. In terms of your designers and your PMs, uh, I guess that's that's not too surprising. When when um, when I went to Power BI and helped them walk through it, though we we were very planful and proactive. So I didn't experience when we finally started doing our regular continuous deployment. Uh, I did not experience this same phenomenon that you are with your PMs because. We told them up front, this is how it's going to work now, over and over again. The biggest impact, though, was on the dev side. And so I'm curious as to how live site handling might be working now. Or have you seen any behavioral change uh, within the dev team? I'll give you you a rough number here. Like um, my dev team... uh, Lately, they're they're essentially expressing that live site activities DRI, um, which stands for designated responsible individual, the person who answers the phone, right? Um, that overall live site activities is taking up about fifty percent of devs' time now. Yeah, ours. One thing that helped us with that is. We, even when we were only shipping, we weren't really shipping. We had only our team was using it. We had the DRI process in place. So we had weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months of practice going through the DRI path before we even had any real customers. And then as we slowly added customers, uh, they were very used to it. We definitely have more issues. We're cleaning up a lot of of monitors. And when you're the DRI right now, it's pretty much full time. You're figuring out what's wrong and tweaking stuff. We also have a small team dedicated to uh, site reliability engineering or SRE. And those people very much following the Google SRE model where 50% of the time they're, they're coding and running diagnostic tools, et cetera. And then 50% of the time they're sort of helping and coaching the and bailing out sometimes the DRIs. But our, one thing we're doing pretty well, we have, I was incident manager this week, uh, and I still am until this afternoon. Um, and I didn't get any calls this week. Everything got, was picked up by the DRI, which was good. Uh, Are but, you tracking uptake? Like, what's the usage? Uh, we're up to well over 100,000 active users. So on our way up. Okay. I haven't looked at the numbers. They're probably higher than that. We've had thousands and thousands of tenants turn on and, and a lot of people just turning on small parts of their tenant or or like the IT admins generally will have like a, a test tenant they'll play with and they'll turn it on for their company but it's a more uptake than I planned uh, we've had a couple sev ones uh, a few sev twos a lot of threes and fours which are actually mostly monitoring glitches but some we're learning to filter the noise from the real issues as we finally have uh, something close to real traffic. You're on top of Azure. Yeah, we are. Okay, we're entirely on top of an Azure. We we depend on you very much. Send me your subscription. the The other thing that would that would be good if you have your own monitoring, mm-hmm. and if you don't, it's uh, on top of MDM. No, no internal it, Microsoft stuff. Yeah, but one thing that would be extremely valuable to us here is if you had your own monitoring 
where on your own, not relying on our data, but on your own, determine outages that you would blame Azure on. Okay, interesting, as Brett and I bring up work stuff in the middle of a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we, last, no, weekend before last, tell me this rings a bell, we had all kinds of failover in East U.S. There was a big outage in East yeah. U.S. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, correlation. <laughs> so, but, which is actually really good. Uh, for us, because we had manually tested failover, um, but it was good that automatically those things were rerouted uh, to West US and, and and in particular, my team is really looking for is an internal team that um, monitors the availability and reliability of their own service independently from Azure data and attributes out their own outages to Azure independently. Okay. So if you have that or something like that, yeah, I want to talk. All right, I will connect. <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, we'll. Uh, oh shit, we're doing a podcast. Better together. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, we're talking business on the podcast, but um, this is all about how how to use data to even improve quality even better, right? Mm -hmm. If if I can take your data connect it with the Azure data and change certain behaviors here because you're independently measuring this, um, I can improve my platform, which then improves yours. Sounds good. I'll yep. follow up. Uh, back to what we're talking about, teams and deployment and... Teams and you said SRE, LifeSite. So you're saying you haven't seen much of a behavior change yet with Dev because you've already... Oh. We, yeah, not much. Not trained much. them beforehand. I think, yeah, we trained them beforehand. They're acting pretty well. They know where they're. We're yelling at them about the same things, and they're slowly getting better. Our, we had a lot of noise in our monitors, uh, but we knew we had noise. That's getting better now because we have traffic. We can believe it. Uh, I like having more users because the numbers start making sense around you know like a perf latency and, and errors happening. Uh, we can start to actually know what's going on in the world. Have you started um, trying to fake out A-B testing? That is definitely on, not, you're talking about experimentation, not Alan Brent testing. Right. right. Uh, experimentation. A slash B. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely the goal. We're not quite there yet. We're not quite to the stage where, you know, my, one of my goals is everything's an experiment. Let me ask we're, you this. We're not quite there yet. Let me ask you this. Yep. There is, I'm going to assert this, that there is at least one feature that you and a PM argued about that you lost, it shipped, and now you have the data to determine who was right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Have you done that yet? Not yet. Do it. Ben, if you need help, let me know. <laughs> ben, ben, I've been busy with the other part of my job, which is getting getting crap out the door. <clears throat> Not crap, getting quality bits out the, the door. The second you can get the, the, it's a huge opportunity to get your PMs now understanding what this data can be used for, and to start um, start the the journey we actually talked about in episodes forty five through yeah. 40, whatever. No, and I've definitely applied a lot of that, and we are getting there, but we are just getting uh, our flooding system hit the ground hot, so we're still ironing out some things there. It's getting better and better, 
but absolutely experimentation is on the short-term radar and uh, looking at data to looking at the data to see uh, what's being used and how it's being used or not. And I'm, I'm saying you don't need experimentation to begin you're destroying right. the intuitionists. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, the intuitionists. <laughs> Which both of us are very much driven off of intuition. Right, but. and and there's a, I did a tweet, well, I'll paraphrase my own. Is it paraphrase? I've paraphrased myself. I can't remember exactly what I said, but the tweet was much more profound than I'm about to speak right now, where I will say... Uh, the, the root of your killer features is, I thought it would be cool if. <laughs> it's probably not. Right. And I've seen just a lot of a lot of dead ends there. Yep. Because we our intuitions go, oh, you know what our customers really need? You know what they need? They need uh, a pink theme. Gotta oh, have, for got, sure. They need gotta a pink, have theme. The pink theme. It's really important. I talked to my daughter. And, and teams, teams should automatically integrate with Lyft. An Uber. <laughs> that would be so cool if that could happen. We, <laughs> we have a lot of third-party integration. We um, and I, I could just see that. Yeah, we need a tab for Lyft. We have imagine like a Slack channel. We have tabs where you have different functionality, like a VSTS tab, etc. Right. Visual Studio Team System. And then we have them for Lyft. Like you go to the tab to to order your Lyft ride. If you mention that to someone on my team, like a PM, they might do it, and then I punch you in the face. <laughs> so which PM? <laughs> how, how do you know? I mean, it's interesting to do an experiment. Actually, the way you do an experiment. Is you do an experiment. Is you say, all right, let's give them a lift tab. Very low. See if they use it. Oh, they don't use it. Must be because it wasn't pink enough. We'll make it pinker. Any other questions about teams and deployment and things I should be doing better? No, I think the I think the next part of your data culture journey is 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 going to be um, introducing PMs to a better way. Yeah, if your if your ops are there, right? The the other thing I would recommend. So if you're doing a traditional DRI approach with TSGs and you have an SRE team whose entire job is to identify and put out fires, but not necessarily put out the fire starters, mm-hmm. right? Um, then um, you should start paying attention to what TSGs are being actively used. You should ask, the, you should ask your SRE to keep track of the TSG usage stats. Because those are things that you should get your dev team to automate now. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Uh, I will do that. One thing, uh, I don't know if this is common or not, but it made a lot of sense to me. I want to talk about briefly is I talk about deployment. So my team owns everything from the moment code is checked in till it goes to the customer. So a lot of quality and testing is in there as well as you know check-in tools, gates, et cetera, build, et cetera. One thing I've done recently, um, before we ship, but maybe the last month, about a month or so, is when we get everything deployed to the Deadpools. Oh, Deadpool is a good movie. So uh, um, everything's ready. The bits are live, ready to start routing traffic to new, whether it's backend server stuff or a new front end. I let our SR, I don't let, I pass, at that point, I'm done with it. I give it to the SRE. And the SRE actually routes traffic and does that move because they can they know how to watch the monitors and see what's going on and when to roll back or, 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 or make those choices. Right. So that's been 
very helpful because then I feel a little, it's not like I'm passing the buck to them. I'm this is like, this is ready to go, but you know better if it's not, or if it's something's going to go weird. Yep. And we have for better, or for worse. One thing we've learned over the last few weeks is how to roll back. Good. <laughs> and we can no. roll back very effectively that, actually, and quickly. That is um, one mistake I see a lot of teams do is that when they start going into the service world, they don't have a plan for rollback. And when you're in this world, right, um, which, which then reinforces this, this preventative test model, which directly harms your ability to do continuous deployment. Mm-hmm. Which, is the, which is another one of the places I want to get to. We're, yeah. not, we're, we're rapid deployment, but certainly not continuous deployment. Maybe yeah. not even rapid. What should I call it? Frequent. Semi-frequent. Often deployment? Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Faster than your team over yeah. there deployment. Um, so that's, that's really good news. The, uh, my team right now is um, working. One of our key missions is to apply data science towards uh, the NRT, DRI, LifeSite type problems. Um, Azure is growing very rapidly. Uh, I'm not going to mention numbers here. Um, it's highly competitive space. But um, what our predictions show for what's going to happen in the next five years is unlike anything we've experienced thus far. And so I'm helping to lead on helping to get our assets scaling to that. Um, should be a fun adventure. The more, the more and more I think about it, we've talked a lot on on here around shifting to agile is important because of calendar time, right? Um, that's something that the Azure team fully is bought into. But what's happening next? The next target is engineer time. Right, we can't have fifty percent of our engineers, you know, uh, just focused on putting out fires. Absolutely correct. So I'm very excited about this stuff. Um, it it also it is also exciting that I can say, hey, Alan, start thinking about this. <laughs> That'd be good to do. Yeah, we yeah. rely a lot on Azure. Everything's yeah. Okay, as you, as you can imagine. Okay, this has been episode 49. Apparently so. <laughs> Sorry, Brent, man. I blacked out of all 48. <laughs> so uh, we'll be back next time for the big 5-0, right? I guess. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's been a hell of a time. We'll see you next time. See you. See you.